So in the series that we are making our way through, we're calling Devoted, uh, it is the, it's a look at the posture and the practices of a spirit-filled people. In particular, there in Acts chapter 2, on the other side of the Sunday at Pentecost, when God sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within his people, to guide us and shape us and form us, there's this huge revival that outbreaks. And right before what we just read, 3,000 people get baptized. They go into what Lorenzo just talked about a moment ago. And on the other side of now this huge church expanding, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, what we just read, is Luke, who wrote Acts, his depiction of how Pentecost was sustained, how this movement of God's spirit was stewarded and spread throughout the world. And so whatever you may think that may come in the form of, if some big event or some kind of exciting, engaging you know, event that you would go to, what we find in Acts chapter 2 is actually these very simple postures and practices that guided the people to continue in all that Pentecost had brought about. And so it's, it's just simple things like what we just read, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This was what their devotion was first and foremost to as they carried on this work of the Spirit. They were devoted not just to the apostles' teachings, but to the fellowship. They understood that this commitment of what it means to be a follower of Jesus takes place in a tight-knit community of followers of Jesus together. Last week, we looked at how they understood this whole work of the Spirit as being one that is experienced and revolves around the table, the breaking of the bread, what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And today, what we're seeing is how did the early church steward, sustain, and spread revival, this ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, and it was through prayer. If you read through the book of Acts, prayer is the, the lungs, it's the engine, it's the breath of the early church. You just keep reading through, and, and the book of Acts is, if any other way, how could you summarize it, as just a series of prayer requests and God answering them. People devoted to prayer, chasing after prayer. You just read through the book of Acts, and you just begin to highlight every mention of the word prayer or, or moment where someone prays, and as I've said before, you would have a neon Bible looking back at you. It's just one of these ongoing themes. How did the church sustain and spread and steward revival by being a community devoted to prayer? They were obstinate about talking to God, talking with him, listening to God, being with him in prayer. They were, they were stubborn about turning their hearts and minds towards God. They were uh, insistent upon standing at the overlap between the promises of God and, and the promises of the kingdom and the needs of this world. They were stubborn. They were committed. They were devoted to being continually united in prayer. The whole book of Acts is as much a story about God's spirit at work within the early church as it is about an early church that was devoted to prayer. And that's, there's a reason for that. You can't separate those two things. And so as we come out of the early church and we begin to kind of like look around the room or look at ourselves, the challenge that we have, I mean, maybe this is just my moment to kind of name like my unique challenge with discipleship. Maybe some of you, one of you maybe would, would just agree with me is, is for me, I just find so often the posture of the way that I relate to prayer is not one of devotion, but difficulty. I'm like, I read these stories where like the first thing they do is prayer and they're just like moving their lives through prayer. And then I look at my own and it's just like, when it comes to prayer, there's confusion Am I doing this right? You know, kind of, am I, is this, am I saying that right? Like, did I do that? There's, like, distraction. Have you ever tried to just sit and pray? And you, that's the moment that your whole to-do list, everything you've forgotten up until that point today comes to mind. There's distraction. That's the moment where, of course, you know, the bird is outside or, the, you know, the garbage truck comes through right at that moment. 
And you just, every single moment, you forget something. Someone calls you at that moment. Or you have two little kids that run around. Like, it's so, prayer, it just, I, I want to be devoted, but I just, I, so often I'm distracted, I'm confused. Or I just get, get bored with it. You just kind of sit down, okay, I'm supposed to talk to God, so God, how are you today? <laughs> like, I'm pretty good, thanks for this whole, you know, life thing. Uh, pray for, you know, Edna's goiter, and I guess, like, you know, you just start, like, listing through what are the things that I don't, I don't know what else to talk about, and you just slowly kind of slip into boredom. Is that anyone else in the room? Yes and amen, at least at some level. Okay, for the rest of you... You guys are long for the ride today, sorry. But for those of us that find prayer difficult, uh, this is, the, I just, what, how, how do we bridge the gap? How do we move from looking at the early church's example and their devotion to prayer and that becoming like the life of the church and the primary means where the spirit meets them and takes the church in new ways, spreading the gospel, sustaining this movement of discipleship. And it, I, I, that's what I want. And then I come over here and I'm just confused and distracted and bored. How do I get from here to here? One of the things that's been most helpful for me is um, realizing that there's a little bit of something going on here in the Greek that Luke is writing in. You see, when you read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. Remember last week we talked about the breaking of bread, and I, and I identified that this wasn't just eating meals together. It was the breaking of the bread, right? There's that definite article there that set our attention on what we're talking about here is communion about the Lord's Supper. There's a similar little thing like that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that most many translations and what is literally rendered in the Greek of what Luke was writing was not that they just de de devoted themselves to prayer in general, but you'll see behind me, to the prayers. The, not, not just prayer in general, which, which they did, right? But they were able to devote themselves to prayer because they were devoted to the definite article. There's some set group of prayers that they were entering into. And so here we have, at the very beginning of the story of the church leaning into prayer and seeing God moving in the world through all of their prayers, and we go, how do we get that? I think right here is, you know, a little, little drop from Luke. Was it just a devotion to prayer? It was, but it was specifically to the prayers. So let's, let's just talk about for a moment, what are the prayers? We kind of put on your historian hat for a moment. Talk about the prayers. We just need to remember, this whole thing that we're a part of, Christianity, following Jesus, began as this kind of upstart messianic movement within Judaism, within Israel. And so as that story came out of Judaism, what came with it, Jesus was not just the fulfillment of the story, but his disciples also participated in many of the ongoing traditions that, that, Israel, that the good, a good Israelite would do, one of which being what they referred to as the prayers. And so the first thing that the prayers were, were they, were they were built around a three-time-a-day, you stop what you're doing, and you pray. At 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. The basis for this is all over these scriptures in the Old Testament. One which is Psalm 55, just so you can see it here. The, this is David. Um, did I have Psalm 55? There it is. So just notice, but I call to God, and the Lord will save me. I complain, and I groan morning, noon, and night, Right? So there's this, okay, David prayed three times a day. When you read about Daniel, 
Daniel in exile in Babylon, he prays, the scriptures tell us, three times a day. One of my favorite little things that I found this week that I'd read over for years is the uh, fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each are told in their stories and they're relating with God, each praying at some unique, powerful moment where God shows up, Abraham in the morning, Isaac in the afternoon, and Jacob wrestles with God at night. And so Israel, growing out of being shaped by these scriptures, built on this kind of framework where we pray three times a day. We stop what we're doing to enter into a posture of prayer. And, and so when you read through the book of Acts, you just find that this is like, this is the assumed thing. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, is praying in the afternoon when he has his vision. Um, Peter, in uh, the beginning of chapter 3, uh, 3 verse 1, if you have your Bible open, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So just notice, for Peter and the early apostles, for the disciples of Jesus, just because Jesus fulfilled the story of Israel didn't mean that it canceled out the wisdom and the traditions. And so they were carrying on, bringing out the wisdom. And so here you have Peter going to pray. Even in what we just read in chapter two, where it told us that they devoted themselves to daily meeting together in the temple. What is that? It's them returning to the temple for prayer throughout their day. Now, at the time of Jesus, these kind of three times a day prayer took a particular form. And so there were three times a day. In the morning, you would you know, wake up as you're about to start your day. You would pray through the Shema. Uh, it's from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it was a prayer of allegiance to God, beginning their day by setting their heart around my, what, what I want my heart to be after God today, my soul, everything that I am. And then they would pray through what was called the 18 benedictions. And so that, the uh, Amidah. And so the 18 benedictions, and then some, there's one papyrus. It's called, I think it's called the Nash papyrus. That there's a basis. This is like, I told you we're doing history for a moment. <laughs> So maybe it's interesting, maybe it's not. But that they would also in the morning um, recite the Ten Commandments. They would pray through the Ten Commandments as this is who I want to be today and also repenting of any failure to live into them. When you get to the afternoon, you just take a little break, you know, whatever you're doing at lunch, and you pray through the, just the 18 benedictions that you prayed earlier in the morning. And then, you know, in the afternoon or evening before you go to bed at night, you pray the Shema again. You pray the 18 benedictions and then maybe the 10 commandments. So this, so this is the, this is what, what, what did Jesus, how was Jesus like growing up? He, this was his prayer life. These three times a day, this rhythm was what they were praying. And so it's just kind of assumed here within the first decades of the church, when it was just a uniquely Jewish movement, was that they were just participating within the 18 benedictions and the Shema. But then now, because of the resurrection of Jesus, the theology of it shaped. That when they were saying, the Lord our God is one, they understood Jesus as fully being part of that oneness in some way that, that we fully can't put our finger on. As they're praying through the 18 benedictions for the coming of the kingdom and the sending of the spirit and the messianic age, they're kind of smiling because it's like they're praying for it to come and we're celebrating the fact that we're living into it, Right? And so what happens, though, is in the coming decades, as the church continues to grow and specifically starts to pick up these little weirdos called Gentiles, um, which is most of us in the room, and um, you, you begin to have a, a unique kind of dynamic that would begin to shift around not the three times of prayer, but the content of it. Um, one of my favorite things is the Didache. How many of you have talked with me and I've talked to you about the Didache and you've heard me talk about it before? And there's so many people laughing in here because I love the Didache. So the Didache is, uh, it also is just called the teaching. 
And so the teaching was written around the same time as the New Testament. So though it's not in your Bible, it wasn't written by with an apostolic authority, it was written around the same time as the New Testament, and many scholars identify that it was written in the same like church community that Matthew was in when he was writing his gospel. There's just so many quotations of one another, and the timing is so close to one another, that just is what makes the most sense for a bunch of scholars. And so it's basically just like a handbook on like how to Christian, like how to church. It's like you were just, and so again, some of the thoughts of scholars is it was kind of like a leaflet that came with Matthew's gospel for a church. You would send them Matthew's gospel, and then you would send them this, the Didache, the teaching, or what it was referred to as the teaching for the Gentiles from, from the Lord. So it was this movement of how do you Gentiles enter into this Messianic Christian movement? So right in between a whole talk on baptism and communion, we get a section on fasting and prayer. So I'm just going to read it. Uh, but let not your fasts be with the hypocrites, which is an, um, the language that's utilized for um, uh, basically non-Messianic Jews. So this is being written within a Jewish community, and they're identifying that the true faithful Jewish people are those who are receiving Jesus as their Messiah. So, that, that's, so don't, they fast on the second and the fifth day of the week, but for the sake of us setting ourselves apart and being followers of Jesus, we're going to fast on the fourth day, which would be our Wednesday, and the preparation, which is a wonderful little line because it notes that the early Christians were still observing the Sabbath. They wouldn't call that day the day of preparation unless they were preparing for what, and the next day is Sabbath. We'll let that sit with you. Um, so we pray on Friday. So don't, also don't, don't pray as they do. So no longer, we, there's nothing wrong with the Shema. There's nothing wrong with the 18 benedictions, but we are going to pray as the Lord commanded us. And then we quote from Matthew's gospel. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us today our daily, that is our needful bread, and forgive us our debt as we also have forgiven our debtors. Bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or just evil in general. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And then, thrice in the day, thus pray. So we're just bringing together the history here. And within the early movement of the church, as they took on the wisdom of this kind of prayer, the prayers, and what we find is that within the coming decades, that as the church grows and blooms into form, they fully identify a continual of like, there's, there's a great deep wisdom in praying three times a day. And for the people of Jesus, what we pray is the Lord's Prayer. And this is in keeping with what Matthew writes. Uh, you'll go to the next slide. Right before the Lord's Prayer, what we just read from the Didache, therefore, you should pray like this is what Jesus says. Or literally it says, you pray this. So they just understood whatever we think about prayer, Jesus has taught us how to pray, and it is the Lord's Prayer. So they took the wisdom of three times a day with the command of Jesus for the Lord's Prayer. How are we doing? Great. So then the question is, if this is kind of what we're talking about when we talk about how were they devoted to prayer, was by being devoted to the prayers, like how do we actually enter into this kind of rhythm and life? Now, varying church traditions throughout history are going to have varying different ways that they do it. Some would affirm kind of the wisdom of three day, times a day. Some would say two times a day. That would be the Book of Common Prayer by the Anglican Church. And then the Roman Catholic Church for a long time had seven prayers a day, like do, 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 throughout the day. And sometimes you would have psalms or scriptures that would be assigned or other written prayers that would be put in place for that. You have, so you have, yeah, you have... Uh, the Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, the Anglican Church all have these prayer books. And then you can even go out and find, um, like we are big, big fans in our house of Every Moment Holy. Like these 
pre-written prayers that are meant to be written with some kind of like specific occasion or rhythm. And so the, this tradition has 100, the prayers have 100% continued. Now for most of you that have been raised in like, you know, either non-denom or Baptist-y, like evangelical space, you're like, not me. I never had that. Yes, you did. But you didn't say seven times or you weren't raised to do it seven times a day or three times a day or two times a day, but one time a day. And it was called quiet time. And what happened was we took a continuing tradition of the necessity of some form of prayer, but as also literacy grew and people's availability of scriptures grew, what we moved into was a one time a day of like prayer, but the oversizing emphasis on that time was for inductive Bible study. And now here's the thing, I'll just say, there's nothing wrong with any of these. These are all good. Strengths and weaknesses abound. But the whole point is we've all got some form of the prayers, And so the argument simply that I think what I just want to make today for us is uh, the oldest version of that, the best version of that, arguably, because it's the one Jesus gave us, is to receive for ourselves, yes, totally alongside that. Like I said, we are big fans of Every Moment Holy, and and specifically, I I sleep with my Book of Common Prayer. I don't sleep with my, I, I love the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. It's great, great resource. But for those of us as Christians, the best, the central place of some kind of regular rhythm, or the language can be called liturgy, is simply to lean into the one that Jesus gave us. Pray the Lord's Prayer once a day. That's just a beginning place. So there's, yeah, is there wisdom in three times a day or seven times a day or two times a day? Yeah, yeah, totally. I I, I tend to think they're probably onto something in the early church with three times a day. That's thousands and thousands of year old wisdom. But as a beginning place, it's like, man, what if to devote ourselves to prayer, to begin to move out of my confusion my distraction, my boredom, I begin to enter into praying the Lord's Prayer for 15 minutes once a day. Do that for a few months, and then, okay, I'm gonna try to end my day now. Just before bed, go through the Lord's Prayer again. Okay, now, or maybe I'm gonna add lunch. You know, just for five minutes at lunchtime, just, take a, just to read it and reset, right? To come to a, just a, a pattern of prayer. And so what you do in these spaces and in with this time is not you sit down on, you know, your phone, your Bible, and you just read Matthew chapter 6. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and then, you know, okay, go back to work. The whole point behind all of this is this is a a prompt, a guide for what, what would be called more extemporaneous prayer. I read it, and I allow each of these phrases and words to then prompt me to spend more time praying on that theme, allowing it to shape me. So I don't just read our Father in heaven, I our Father in heaven. And so God, as I begin in prayer, I'm just first, I, I just wanna receive the reminder that you relate to me as, as Abba Father. You are not distant from me. I'm not trying to earn any of affection of yours, but I just, my prayer begins with a place that even before I show up to prayer, you're already here and present with me, right? And you, okay, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so God, uh, I mean, it's lunchtime right now. I've been running around all day. I know I've got a couple of these meetings coming up and I've got, I'm gonna go home to a busy house tonight and we've got you know, this going on. And so, God, what does it look like? Would you just shape me right now? What does it look like for your will to be done in each of these things today, right? God, would you bring about your kingdom beyond what I can do today? Forgive us you know, our debts. Um, oh, God, yeah, that, the way that you know, I, I flipped that guy off in traffic. God, forgive me and my debts, right? Um, and, but also as I forgive those that are indebted to me. And so, God, I also I forgive him for cutting me off. Right, we're getting very real right now. Um, or just very, like you just, so the whole point is not you're just wrote, bored, like, recitate, like reciting of the Lord's Prayer. 
You're entering into it and participating in it, allowing certain lines and phrases to prompt like repentance or intercession or petition or just, just abiding, like that you just enter and you just allow those phrases. Like sometimes you're gonna get to forgive us our debts and it's gonna be, you've got things that you need to repent of. Other times, forgive us our debts, you're just gonna wanna sit in that space and just bask in the grace of God that your sins are forgiven. You see? Every single time you come to it, it just, it meets you because it's, it's meant to be responded to and entered into, not just simply read. And so we're actually gonna do this in just a moment together. And we're gonna end the gathering by, by doing this together today, closing by just kind of praying through each of these lines. But I just wanna point your attention to uh, collectivechurch.com slash, I think it's just Lord's Prayer. Um, I kind of threw together just a little guide on how to do this um, to go beyond even what I'll be able to hit on today, as well as um, some like friends here, Bradley, my friend here, and then Bradley made some um, I, like wall fi- wallpapers for your phone that have the Lord's Prayer on it. Um, and so w- whatever you can do to help like, you know, remind you um, to keep coming back to it. Um, all of that is there as just a little, little tool in, in doing all this. So, okay, let's just say, I'm gonna take, before we move forward, I just, this is, I, I was like worried this week because of how simple this is, but it's also so new for many of us. Because for most of us, we view prayer as being something that I have to well up within myself and if it's not 100% spontaneous and everything that I'm feeling, then somehow it's less than. Uh, but I just, this is the, how do you get devoted to prayer? If your prayers always depend on your energy level, you're just, your devotion is gonna be failing. This is, this is true with your relationships. If, 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 you're, if marriage was always just dependent on how you felt about the other person, it wouldn't go very long, Right? And so the whole point of these is, well, I'm, I'm getting into Ronald Rollheiser's quote, um, which is money. Uh, Ronald Rollheiser's book on prayer says, okay, we'll come to this in a second, because let me just set that what I'm trying to say here. Some of you are, like, as I'm teaching on this right now, and I just know that you're like, well, why not just call us to be devoted to prayer? Why all this liturgy stuff? Why the Lord's prayer? Why tell me what to pray? Why this like three times a day? Why once a day? Why any of this? Why not just say, let's pray more and then I just invite you to like, you know, pursue and love Jesus more. Why the focus on this kind of rhythm and liturgy? Rollheiser writes, what clear, simple, and brief rituals provide is precisely prayer that depends upon something beyond our own energy. Remember the boredom that, that keeps us from prayer? The rituals are just the liturgy, the, the, the habits, the practices of entering into this on a regular basis, they carry us our tiredness, our lack of energy, our inattentiveness, our indifference, and even our occasional distaste. They keep us praying even when we're too tired to muster up our own energy. There are days you're gonna get out of bed and you're not gonna have the energy to like think about what you wanna pray, but you can sit down and just go, our Father in heaven, in the midst of all my tiredness right now, would your name be honored as holy in my life today? Help me just to live towards your kingdom in the midst of my exhaustion. Help me to look, would you bring about your kingdom in the midst of all this on earth as it is in heaven? That's, that's where I'm looking. Today, would you just give me all that I need to get through today? Like, even when you're tired, you can still do this because you're not having to start from scratch. And so what I wanna do is just kind of why the Lord's Prayer then? Like why, why the Lord's Prayer beyond like, you know, it's the one Jesus gave us. Why the prayers? Again, why, why devote ourselves to these kinds of rituals and specifically choosing certain ones? And so kind of just why the Lord's Prayer? And then we're gonna practice it together just to kind of set a foundation behind all of this a little bit more. So the first is the Lord's Prayer unites us. 
as a people. And specifically, even praying at set times during the day, it just, it unites us. How, are, how can we be continually united in prayer as a community? Not just united in prayer on our prayer nights, not just united in prayer when we're here in the room, but continually. How can we, like Paul says, pray without ceasing? It's, it's through this kind of rhythm and habit where when I, do, when I know that we're all participating in some rhythm of daily praying the Lord's Prayer is that whether it's in my car or walking down the sidewalk or sitting in my chair in the living room is as I'm praying these words right now, it is not just me praying to God, not just me talking to God as good as that is, but it's me joining with all of us and me joining with Christians from all over the world and throughout all of history. It just, it humbles us a little. It unites us and humbles us. That my prayer is not something special that I need to concoct. It's not something I need to show up and be a you know, prayer warrior, whatever that means and looks like. But I just, I join into the conversation that God's been having with his people for thousands of years. And I just get to enter into that as an individual that God individually loves and sees personally, absolutely. But also just united with one another. Similarly, N.T. Wright, he, in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, identifies that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it not only unites us to one another, it unites us to the prayer life of Jesus himself. Like, you ever want to, like, pray with Jesus? <laughs> How cool would that be? If, like, our next prayer night, you know, on the 24th, is like, Jesus walks in, and you're just kind of sitting there, like, you know, he's just quiet for most of the time, like, we, we tend to do lots of listening, and you're just kind of waiting for Jesus to pray? You, you would take so many notes, you, and you would just watch because people would start copying him in the gathering. You know, he'd, he'd pray something. It's like, oh, he, okay, he, say, he called God Abba. And, okay, so now everybody's calling God Abba. Like, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's like we get to sit with Jesus and watch him pray and then join our voices, not just to one another, but to him as well. So the Lord's Prayer unites us to one another as it unites us to Jesus. The second thing it does is it teaches us. Who taught you to pray? Where'd you learn how to pray? For the first 10 years or so, well, 20 years of my life, I was, I was in Pentecostal, Pentecostal charismatic church, tradition, love it to death. You know how we taught to pray? Walking circles around the sanctuary, calling down fire from God. Jesus, you alone are the one who sends the spirit. And so right now, and you just, and like the faster you pray, the more holy you are, right? I, I've lost the ability to do it, but man, I was a speed prayer back in the day. Because it was just, what is it? It's about emotion. It's about emotiveness, binding our heart, lifting our hearts up to God with fire. And so you're just naming people's names, and you're, you're, just, you're praying for the Holy Spirit to fall down. You're bringing this. We're calling baptism, and, and we're rebuking anything that would keep people out of it. You're just like declaring. You're going, and you're just naming everything. It's all this big energy. And then I, I jumped over to like a Reformed Calvinist church in, in tradition for, for a handful of years. You were talking about whiplash. Because, you know, the, so if you've got, like, the charismatic is, like, the emotive and, like, oh, you know, all of that. And then down here, not me down here, but alongside, you have, like, the Reformed Calvinist, which is, like, <laughs> we're, we're all making our way through our stories. Um, but you would just have this, like, I don't know how else to call it, but, like, this reverent but fatalistic Eeyore from, like, Winnie the Pooh. Oh, no. You know, like, holy, holy, holy. Like, and then because of the Calvinism, like super fatalistic, where it's like, I don't know why we're even doing this. You're going to do what you're going to do anyway. Like, so I hope it's a good thing. And like most of your prayers, like, God, just help us, like, 
to basically put up with whatever you've decided for us, right? But then you are holy, so we trust that it's a good thing, no matter what, like, and you just kind of, you know, that, that was the prayer. And then you have, like, you know, we, we've all entered into spaces of, like, kind of the evangelical, like, general prayer system, which is just, like, you know, can, has some forms where it's, like, the very self-helpy stuff, or then you have some that's just as energetic, but then in place of the, like, speaking talk spirit stuff, it's, like, the word just is, like, a fourth member of the Trinity in people's <laughs> prayers, God, we just pray that, God, you would just be here and that just, God, you would like, all, I'm not trying to be overly silly. These are all differing ways of how we've been taught to pray. Caught, we've caught how to pray. And they're good and they're bad and there's nothing inherently wrong with some of it. Maybe there are parts of it. But the whole question is, who taught you to pray? Are you doing it right? And how do you know? Who taught you to pray? Luke chapter 11. The Jesus' disciples come to him and they saw Jesus, this is a parallel with Matthew 6, what we just read, we got the Lord's Prayer there. But this story, we find Jesus is praying in a certain place. And when he finished, amen, he, he gets up and he walks, and one of the disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. So just, just notice here, like they're identifying, everybody learns to pray from somewhere. John the Baptist's disciples, he, he taught them how to pray like John the Baptist was praying. And so what they're saying is, man, we love John the Baptist's prayer life, but Jesus, how do we enter into your, how do we pray like you? I want to pray like you when I grow up, Jesus. How do I do that? Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, right? right? Like, who taught you to pray? And is it the right way to pray? And do you know? Now, this is not like, is there charismatic and Calvinist reformed and even whatever, you know, fill in all the space versions of that which fit within the Lord's 100%. But the great gift of the Lord's prayer is that as you allow it to shape you and people go, man, where did you learn how to pray? You're able to go, oh, me? Yeah, I had a uh, pretty exclusive prayer coach that I signed up for. His name is Jesus. Like he, Jesus taught me to pray. The Lord's Prayer allows our prayers to be, to, to be taught how to pray like Jesus. And so that's not to say that like, once again, any other traditions, prayers that they would give, whether that's like the, the spontaneous, extemporaneous kind of prayer that really doesn't have any set to it, it's largely motivated by the heart, that it totally has a place. Does the Book of Common Prayer or the Daily Hours or Every Moment Holy, do those have 100% are good, good, good bonus mentors to prayer? But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm gonna teach you how to pray, say this, we really, 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 really need to prioritize that, don't we? So the Lord's Prayer unites us, it teaches us, and then it orients us. There's this really cool, um, uh, like leader, it's, it became a leadership principle, but it, it began actually in the training of Air Force pilots. So going back to World War I, so think about like the little single propeller planes with like Snoopy, you know, in them, and kind of slow, and you know, but also like looks like if it got the wrong kind of wind, like that thing's going to go down quick. So not super fast. And so as they were training these guys, they came up with what they called the Oda loop. So you, um, you observe, you decide, and then you act. So you're up in your little plane, and you kind of look around. There's that guy over there. I'm going to go get closer so I can shoot him. I don't know. Ooh, you know. So you observe, decide, and then you do that thing, right? 
And so that, and then you do that on a loop. So oh, I'm going over there, I'm shooting at him. Oh, he's dodging. I'm observing, he's dodging. I'm deciding, uh, I'm gonna give up, right? <laughs> and then you act to go away. And so you observe, you decide, and then you act. But here's the thing, as planes got a lot faster as the technology increased and got far more powerful and the weapons got far more powerful. The whole problem was you couldn't just observe deciding to because everything within you was, you're, you're spinning at such a fast pace that up becomes down, left becomes right, and you can get head over heels so quickly to where you would be like, I'm confident that I'm observing, that I need to go that way because that's the way, that, like, I just know that that's up and I need to go up. And you drive into the side of a mountain. Because you just, you're disoriented from flying around. And so they went from the Oda loop to the Uda loop, which is now they simply added observe and then orient. Look at the tools, look at the instruments. Are you upside down or right side up? What is your incline? Where are you at positionally? After observing what you see, orienting yourself to the reality that you're actually upside down or sideways, then make a decision and then act. Growing up, Within the church, one of the things that I regularly heard is when it comes to prayer, you can just pray whatever's on your mind. You can just talk to God about whatever's in your heart. And while that's 100% a good, true thing to observe, what it doesn't identify is just how easily my mind gets distracted, my heart gets diverted, and my soul gets disoriented. And so it's very, very easy for me to start going about praying in such a way that I'm like the, the pilot in the you know, F-16 or whatever, confident that I'm praying about the right things or the things that God's want, but my whole life has been so shipped and shaped and turned around by disorientation and distraction and diversion that I, I make a mess of my faith and a mess of my prayer life. Like the reality is that every single day you wake up and you go outside and you immediately are in a tailspin of materialism, consumerism, individualism, all shaking and pulling you around. And if you were to go, I'm gonna make a decision based off all of this of like what God wants for me, like you are, that was not a good idea. That was way too dizzy. Um, because this is what happens. Like you get dizzy and then to be able to lean into, you find yourself then praying to a God that's, you're a figment of your imagination that's not actually the God of creation. You find yourself viewing yourself through a framework that isn't how God sees you, that isn't for who you truly are, but a, a perception that you've been given by culture. Your priorities begin to shift. Your attention, what you name as a need versus a desire, those get shaped. The enemy would want nothing more than to turn your faith and your life into a blazing fireball while you pray the whole way down to a God that's a figment of your imagination, all the while you now blaming the true creator God that he didn't show up in the ways that you thought, but God just wasn't showing up in the ways that he ever promised to. He wasn't being the God that he ever promised to be. And so like, this is one of the things that's so necessary is to become a particular kind of, of prayer we, we, if we just enter into extemporaneous, just me waking up, crawling out of bed and praying, or stopping in the middle of the day and praying, just whatever's on my heart, whatever's on my mind, I, too easily I can begin praying for things that are completely contradictory to the will of God. Praying with a sense of who God is, it's completely the opposite of who he actually is. So the gift of any kind of written prayer, but in particular the Lord's Prayer today, is it orients you back into who God actually is and who you really are, who your neighbor actually is, what's actually the necessity of your life. 
like the dials on the instruments, that now out of like coming back to the Lord's prayer, reminding yourself, orienting yourself to reality, you then and only then can decide and act and move, not just in prayer, but in all of your life. So the Lord's prayer orients us. And then finally, it immerses us. The Lord's prayer immerses us in the Lord's gospel. I don't know how you would summarize what Jesus came to do. I don't know how you would summarize what God is doing in Jesus, the message of Christianity, the thing that we all believe by which we are saved. But like the Lord's prayer is Jesus not just giving like a fun practice for you to get a little bit closer to him and a little more partnering up with what he wants to do. The Lord's prayer is Jesus saying, this is what I have come to do. This is what God is doing in the world. And by praying the Lord's Prayer, you immerse yourself in the reality of what Jesus has come to do. So when you pray, our Father in heaven, by what means are you able to relate to God as Father? Through the, I just, before I can even say Father in heaven, I, I first, in saying that, am immersing myself in the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection by which I have been adopted as a son or daughter of God. I can't call God Father apart from adoption. Our Father, by what means do I relate to a community of people that all identify, oh, that I am not an individual member of God's family, but I have brothers and sisters who are with me. In heaven, ruling and reigning over all things, by what means do I have historical basis and proof for believing that God is the Father who is reigning from heaven, the resurrection of Jesus, the sending of the Spirit presently within me. Your name be honored as holy, By what basis am I able to know the name and the character of God? It's been revealed in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. By what means am I able to honor him? Well, first, by what means was his name fully honored in the life of Jesus? By his obedience, his death, and his self-giving love. And so therefore, what it means for me to honor him, I, I, I can't do that apart from immersing myself in the gospel. What did Jesus come to do but to bring the kingdom of earth on heaven? What did he come to do but the will of God and not his own? What did he come, what is the whole story of the Christian world? Where are we all going on earth as it is in heaven? By what basis can I trust God when I pray, give me today my daily bread, that I can trust that you're going to provide for me as you're the God who has already provided everything. You, you contain my next breath. I can trust you with what's gonna be on the plate today. By what basis also do I pray not just give me today my daily bread, but our, that I have some participation in others receiving their daily bread as well because of the the generosity of Jesus that he gave himself to me? How can I pray, forgive me my debts, and have that not be some kind of lamentable thing that I have to earn? I just have to simply hold it in prayer. It's because of Jesus' death. By what basis do I have to go and forgive others in order to participate in that forgiveness for myself? Because of what Jesus has done for me. By what basis have I been set free from temptation? His present spirit within me. And what has all of this been about? Him delivering us from evil and me from the evil one. So when I pray the Lord's Prayer, this isn't simply just like this nice little prayer, mm, getting cozy with Jesus. I'm not just being united with the church and united with Jesus' prayer life. I'm not just being taught how to pray like Jesus. I'm not just reorienting myself to the truth of reality. I'm reminding myself of the full effects and goal and gift of Jesus' life for me. That I have been forgiven, that I have all that I need. That I, It's like you just, this is what we're doing when we pray the Lord's Prayer. And so on the other side, once again, I am so a fan 
of the spontaneous and extemporaneous prayer in the same way that I'm a fan of all kinds of different traditions and prayer books. But the Lord's Prayer is this great gift because because it allows me to enter into the very life that Jesus has made and given to me and to come back to it again and again throughout my day. And so the early church, how were they able to steward an ongoing work of the Spirit? By carrying the Lord's Prayer on their tongues throughout the day. How were they able to to sustain what what the Spirit was wanting and, and was up to within their community? It was by being formed by the prayers. And how was they able to spread throughout the world? Because they were praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And every baptism in the book of Acts was Jesus's answering to that prayer request. Because there's a lot of things that sometimes you pray and you're like, I don't know if God's gonna answer that. You never have to worry with the Lord's prayer. Every prayer that I bring that's in line with this, Jesus, it's, it's what he's given.